Well, we're going to tackle something today and talk about something today that is not uncommon and is, in fact, very common, especially in the body of Christ. Something that in the 21st and even the late 20th century was becoming extremely misunderstood. And before we get into it today, we're going to play a little Bible trivia. All right. In 1 Corinthians 13, the scripture says, and now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is very good. You guys are A plus students so far. All right. Let's make it a little trickier here in Colossians 3:14, It says, but above all these things put on the armor. No, sorry. But of all things put on. Okay. B students. No, I'm just kidding. Let's keep moving forward. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So there's a trend here. All right. But I'm not totally sure yet. Now, the next little trivia is not really about the Bible, but uh, if you haven't figured out what we're talking about yet, you know, uh, it doesn't take money. Don't take fame. Don't need no credit card to ride this train. What is it, folks? The power of love. Yes. We're going to talk about a whole group of people don't even know who we listen. That's okay. (laughs) We're going to talk about love and how important it really is to talk and study through the scripture about what love actually is. And I like to look at love as a force. Love is a powerful force. And when I think about love, I think about water. Water is one of the most powerful forces in all of creation. You can have a river that runs down the riverbed and brings peace. And at the same time, that water washing over the rocks will eventually erode some of those rocks. And some of us come to God and there's a hardness that's there. And God doesn't meet our hardness with hardness. He meets it with the power of his gentle love like a stream of water flowing. And it washes away the hardness and the callousness. At the same time, Water can be a crashing wave, and it can come in and take down everything in its sight. And God knows exactly how to meet each and every one of us through the power of his love. Listen to how the scripture describes love in the Amplified Bible. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own ways, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. So when we look at love, we say, well, what really is love? Well, this is a description of how love acts. But we as New Testament believers know that God is love. 
So when we look at how God wants us to act and how God wants us to conduct ourselves, how many of us are doing extremely well on the love list? I would say many of us struggle on a daily basis to allow the power of love to flow through us. And I want to present to you this morning that the only way we can truly do that is to stay in love, to stay in his love. We cannot give what we do not have. And it's not a one-time only deposit from heaven. The reason we have to get in the word daily, the reason we have to get in his presence daily is so we can be under his love and in his love so that we are interacting correctly with the people around us. I want to take a look at two individuals in the scripture, in the New Testament scripture this morning. There are so many different examples, especially in the life of Jesus, to look at the power of love. But today, I want to focus on two. When I was in college, we studied criminal justice. I studied criminal justice. And so it was very common for us to do case studies and to build a a presentation based on these case studies. Well, we're going to take a look at two case studies today. Number one is a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Number two, we don't know her name. Some assume her name, but she is the woman caught in adultery. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus interacts with these two people. And we're going to see the power of his love. And we'll go from there. Go with me to Luke chapter 19, please. We're going to pick up on the story of Zacchaeus. I believe the most powerful force in all of God's creation is the power of love. The power of love causes a spouse to stay with their spouse until they see the demonstration of love in the midst of all the pain and all the hurt. The power of love is a parent who prays and longs for that child who has gone astray and refuses to believe that that child will not come back. It's the power of love. The power of love is a father who would send his only begotten son, his cherished, the the reason of heaven, his desire, and send it to a people, send him to a people who are lost, and broken and turn their back on him. The power of love. See, we often look at love. We say, when I was in high school, we, we, our friends would be, were so close and we would just say all the time, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But we've thrown that word around so much that we have lost the depth of its meaning. Let us not love in word and in tongue, but let us love in action and in truth. Let's put our money where our mouth is. And in this time that we're living, the world wants us to believe that love is one thing. The world wants us to believe, and I'm not here to down the world and to go down that path, but we need to take a look at what the scripture says love actually is and how love interacts with sin. Because we tend to look at sin as a major barrier for God. And God says, through the power of my love, I can push right past that sin. Okay, let's take a look at Zacchaeus here in Luke chapter 19. Then Jesus entered. Now, as we read the book of Luke, okay, we need to take note, as we have shared before, Luke was a detailed historian. We get more details in the book of Luke that we get than we get in many of the other gospels. Luke brings us some accurate details. And in fact, when he lays out the beginning of the book, he says, I have written to you an orderly account of all that I have studied. So he's very specific. He's a detailed historian and he's a medical doctor. And so he 
focuses in on the details. Now we can read. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Everyone say details. Now Luke could have said he was a tax collector, and that would have been enough for the Jews. You know as well as I do, being a student here at Faith Christian Center, we study the scripture very, very well. And so we understand that the Jews detested the tax collectors. Luke is trying to paint a more vivid picture by saying this just wasn't a tax collector. He was a chief of tax collectors. The Jews did not believe that those tax collectors could be saved or loved by God because they had turned their back on their own people and were extorting their own people, stealing from their own people. And Luke is coming in to say, I'm going to paint this picture before I tell you about what happens. You and I, we have the foreknowledge, but I'm going to paint this picture before I tell you how Jesus interacts with this sinner. I want you to know he's a chief tax collector. And if that's not enough, he's rich. He's rich. And you know how the tax collectors made their money? By stealing from their people. By taking more than was needed. But the tax collectors, they weren't just detested by the Jews. They were a sleazy people to the Romans as well. These people had no home. They may have had a physical home, but they didn't belong. Okay, we've got to keep that in our mind as we read here. Okay? And verse 3. And, and, and Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not. Because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Every time I have ever read this passage, my mind and my eyes focus right in on the word must. Jesus is saying, I must come to your house today. We just understood that Zacchaeus is really the sleaziest, most detestable sinner, according to the Jews and the Romans. And Jesus says, I must come to your house today. That word must, when you look at it in the Greek, it means absolutely necessary to achieve a desired end. Jesus knew that it wasn't going to be his words that reached the heart of Zacchaeus. It was going to be his actions. And the thought that a believer, the thought that a, uh, uh, somebody of God, a prophet of God, would come and spend time with a sinner is absolutely disgusting to the Jews. But Jesus says, I must. It is absolutely necessary for me to come to you. So we keep reading here. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, that is the religious leaders, saw it, they complained, saying, He has gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Look at the very next verse. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give all of my goods to the poor. I give, I give half of my goods to the poor, excuse me. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Tell me, what... What dialogue did Jesus have with Zacchaeus written here? We're reading from the person who is very detailed in his discussion. Did Jesus sit there for a long time over dinner and win Zacchaeus through the power of words? No. The scripture says that Jesus simply said, Zacchaeus, come, I must go to your house. Zacchaeus rushes down the tree and receives him joyfully. We don't even know if Jesus ever made it to the house. 
but the power of God's love, the demonstration of a love that would say you're worthy enough for me to come see you, transformed the heart of the most detestable sinner. He didn't say, hey, now listen, Zacchaeus, I'm planning to come over today, so I really need you to go home, and I need you to move the money outside of the house. I need you to move all of these things outside of the house, and if you want me to come there, you need to actually give some of that money back. Zacchaeus came up with this from his own heart. He came up with the fourfold restitution. He came up with half of his goods to the poor. The power of love transformed his very soul in a moment of time. Now, as I said in the beginning, love can be a stream of water flowing. Love can also be a crashing wave. And God knows what every one of us needs. He also knows what everyone in the world needs. It is not one size fits all. And you see that every time you read the New Testament scripture. Jesus met with this person one way. He met with this person another way. He spit on the ground and made mud for these eyes to be healed. He went to this person's house. He called this Samaritan woman a dog. Jesus was not mincing his words. He knew every individual needs an individual touch from God to know that they are loved. So Jesus doesn't even speak a lot of words to Zacchaeus and his very actions transforms the soul and spirit of this individual. Let's keep reading. And Jesus responds to the religious leaders. He says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. In other words, you have cast him off because his profession was to be a tax collector. But he is a son of Abraham. Amen. And you need to see that. Verse 10, so the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. There's so much that we could talk about in studying love today. But I want to look at a few different things. Because see, as I said in the beginning, we cannot bring the power of God's love to a lost hurting and broken people if we do not stay in that love because we are humans and our nature is to say now that i have achieved something now that i have arrived at this place of righteousness before god everybody ought to live at this level what we have added to the holy scripture we have added to the righteous requirement of the law which was fulfilled in christ jesus and we are putting burdens on one another and putting burdens on people who are lost and what they need to see is the power of god's love sometimes you're going to speak it sometimes you're going to live it so i'm shoveling my driveway yesterday see if we just begin to pray at the start of our day we come before the lord we're training our children now. It's so interesting because every time kids come to God, they just go to God like he's Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle. Jesus, I want this. Lord, I want this. And if I could have this. And oh, by the way, how's your day going, God? And we say, kids, no, 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 listen. Ask God right now what you could do to show his love today. Ask him right now before the day begins, God, how, how can I be used by you today? So we're out there shoveling the driveway yesterday. Daily things happen with God if you're just sensitive to his spirit. And that's one of the secrets to walking in love. Because it's not one size fits all and everybody out there needs something different, we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know when he says, say this or do this. We have to know that. 
So we're outside shoveling snow, and we're getting towards the edge of the driveway, and there's a, a couple of young guys across the street, and they just, you know, I'm just minding my own business. And we yell across the street and talk to each other once in, once in a while. But the young man, who's not any more than 17, he's in high school, he walks across the street and just begins pouring out his life to me. I'm like, I've been out here shoveling snow. I'm sweaty. I'm kind of aggravated. I gave my wife the good shovel. I've got the dinky shovel. I am not in the right place. Because, see, I make my wife shovel with me. No, I'm just kidding. She, She actually came... She actually came of her own free will. I didn't say anything, you know. <laughs> know what I'm talking about? That you know what I'm talking about over there? I'm just kidding, man. Um, she came of her own free will, and and so we're out there, and I'm like, I'm not really in the place to minister. Like I didn't expect this. And what did Paul write to Timothy? Be ready in season and out of season when it's favorable and when it's not. And see, I know, see, the thing is, God has placed each and every one of us in a community. He's placed each and every one of us in a job. And many people struggle, well, God, do you want me to sell all that I have and go? Do you want me to uh, leave this business and, and do something for the ministry? The ministry is right where you live. The ministry is right where you work. The scripture says that God gave, or Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. If everybody abandoned their post, when and where would people hear the gospel of Jesus? We don't need more. Well, I don't need to say that, but we we need everybody to do their part as we're going to look at today. So this young man comes across the street and just starts pouring out his life to me. And I'm not talking about pretty stuff. I'm talking about ugly stuff. And I'm saying, God, what? I I didn't even expect this. And I now have to be ready to switch gears real quick. And I didn't preach in a way. I said, Holy Spirit, I'm not ready. I mean, this is how I look. I'm not ready. I'm worn out. What do you want to communicate? What is it? What is it? Do I, do I put my hand on his shoulder and just look him in the eye? Because I can't solve his issues right now at this moment. But what can you do? What can you do, Lord, through me? So we just open up and become a living vessel. So we're going to move forward here. We take a look at the power of God's love, which is in action. It's also in word. The scripture says, let us not only love in word and in tongue, but in action and in truth, or in truth and in action. So we take a look here. Let's slip over one book to the book of John chapter 8. As we take a look at the woman caught in adultery, there are so many great passages that we could study on the power of God's love, but I wanted to highlight two to build our case study today. John chapter 8, verse 1. When you're there, just shout at me and say, I got it. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And of course, many greater preachers than me have stood up here and said, Okay, well, if they caught her, where's the guy? You know, and so there's a lot of malicious intent here, and they're trying to trap Jesus. We have to think about what they're doing. In verse 5, now Moses, this is the scribes and Pharisees saying, now Moses in the law commanded 
that for this type of one we should stone. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they may have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Man, this is one of those moments I wish I was there. I'm sure that there was great moments of healing and the raising of the dead. But this is one of those moments that every time I read it, I wish I was there. Because Jesus knows the power of love that exists inside of him. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to halt and stop them from what they're doing. Because now all of their eyes, all of their focus, all of their attention is fixed on him. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to doodle in the sand. He chooses to start doodling in the sand, but there's a reason behind what Jesus does. Don't you know, every time Jesus does something, there's a reason for what he's doing. So they continued asking him, verse 7, and he raised himself up and said to them, and and, and that can be better translated as Jesus, in one sense, we need to realize, uh, if if you look at it correctly, Jesus hasn't yet stood up. He's just raised his eyes. And this is really important because position is everything. Jesus hasn't quite stood up yet. He's doodling and they're pressing him and pressing him. And he just kind of looks up. I mean, think about the power of this moment. Here's a man who's not afraid. There's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So here's a man, and this is what he begins to say when they press him. He says, okay. He who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus is like, I'm going back to my drawing. Obviously, what Jesus was drawing was much better than what these people were bringing to him. I don't know what he was drawing. Maybe how he designed the earth, you know, when he was there with God. I don't know what he was doodling in the sand. But he continues writing in verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And you know, who are we? We're reading John, who's writing this scripture here. And it's really important to take note that the older ones knew. See how it says the oldest went out first, all the way to the last? There's still some pride and zeal left in those young people that think, oh, we're still holy enough. We can cast this stone. But every one of them fades away. In verse 10, when Jesus raised himself up now, He saw that no one but the woman was there. And he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, what's interesting here is we see much more dialogue than we see in the account of Zacchaeus. You know, many have kind of talked about who this woman may be, and I'm not really interested in getting into that study, but this woman's life was transformed. This is why it's so important to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, because Jesus knew, number one, the people around me are trying to trap me. Number two, there's a woman here who already knows how sinful she is. If they caught her in the act of uh, of adultery, how do you think she looks? You think she's got all her fancy clothes on? Probably not. Here is a woman who has been publicly shamed. And Jesus adds no shame to her sin and failure. He knows her heart is already convicted. And he forgives her and releases her 
of her sin. He forgives her and releases her. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus doesn't give a command that he doesn't put the power behind to fulfill. Because he changed her internally, in spirit and in soul, he knows now she won't have to struggle with this sin anymore because she's already been redeemed. She's received the power of that love. Now, I don't know where you are, and I don't know where God found you. I don't know how Jesus came to you. You may think that you came to him. You may think that you finally submitted to him, but the truth is he was always chasing you down. He has always come after us because he loves us. And so what we need to do is we need to actually stay in that love. And I'm going to bring you to another scripture in just a moment, just a few pages after what we're reading here. We can't give what we don't have. And remember, remember when God came to you. Remember when something transformed you from the inside out. And don't forget that. But still, we must daily be in his presence so that we can keep receiving that love. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is famous for when Jesus is talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, you must stay in me if you want to produce fruit. But here's something that we've never actually picked up on in John chapter 15, or I have not really fully seen. In John chapter 15, verse 9, after he comes through this whole discussion about being the vine and where the branches, how we need to stay in him, look at what he says. John 15, verse 9, are you there? Look at what he says. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. How can I give to my neighbor what I do not have if I have not been abiding in his love? I have not been staying in that place of love. And here's part of the problem. Many times when we get saved, we live on this awesome high, like this great honeymoon. And then all of a sudden we fall. We actually make a mistake in sin. And instead of going right back to the grace that we received the first time, we now add law to it. And we say, oh, well, because God has already saved me, he must expect me to, to, to do more. So I need to be better next time. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've sinned. I have failed you. But really, you have never left his love. You sinned. You fell. We fell. We sinned. But we never left his love. Romans chapter 5 clearly lays that out. That if God gave us the freedom and the power of forgiveness of sins when we were ungodly, how much more will we be saved from wrath through him? But we add this law to our salvation. And Paul, he hammers the Galatians for this, thinking that somehow they're going to receive and earn righteousness by the works of the law. And the problem is it doesn't stay there. We bring that bondage on other people. And we begin to say, if you really want to be accepted by God, you've got to do this. But Jesus never did that. He met their heart. He met their soul. He met them right where they were. He brought forgiveness of sin to them. And it was the power of his love that transformed their physical life. We have got to stay in that love. We have to abide in that because if not, we get critical. If not, we get judgmental. And we look at the world as totally distant from us. But Jesus was in the world. He engaged the world. He found them where they were and he wasn't afraid of their sin. 
So why should you and I as a believer be afraid of the sin of the world? Why should their sin make us afraid? We've got the power of love inside of us. Now we're living in a culture that says, oh, you know, there are so many ministers right now. Man, they don't know where to fall. They don't know where to fall on these issues. They don't know where to stand on these issues. I'm not saying we all need to just holler out a word all the time because we have to remember, just like in Jesus' time, they were looking to trap him. So we need to be very calculated in what we say, but we need to be very sensitive to the Spirit. Because if I dare tell somebody that they need to get clean before Jesus wants to meet with them, I have missed the point of the gospel message of Jesus. I need to be willing to bring them the good news. I need to be willing to go beyond that barrier of sin because Jesus went beyond that barrier of sin. But we can't do it if we don't stay in it. We will automatically judge and criticize if we have not stayed and abided in that love because we tend to forget what we have been saved from. So Jesus says, abide in my love. Then he goes on to say here, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so now he's teaching us, how do we abide? How do we abide in his love? Well, number one, we keep his commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Now jump down to verse 12. He gives us his commandment right here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, he goes on to say in another passage, how will the world know that you're my disciples? By the way, you love one another. And so our love and our compassion, our empathy and our forgiveness of one another is a model to the world of what God's love looks like. Paul says it this way, where there is envy, strife, and division, you are still carnal. And so we have to learn to walk in love first. Isn't that what happens at home? Don't your parents teach you to love your siblings and to love the family first so you can bring that love outward? And so we're the same thing. We're the family of God. And we have to be willing to work with one another and forgive one another and encourage one another. So several years ago, I was really struggling uh, with a lot of insecurity and a lot of issues, never actually sensing. You know, I came to God at a very young age. I rededicated by the time I was 18, and I just went so strong into the things of God. I saw God do amazing things in my life, and I was absolutely uh, floored that he would choose me to do that. I felt like, how could God love me and, and allow me to do these things? But even in doing all those things, I never actually, and I'm going to be completely frank with you, I struggled to stay in that love. I struggled to find myself in that place. And I, I continually cried out to God, God, I, I'm doing all these great things. I'm being used of you. I'm, I'm serving. I'm, I'm seeing you move mightily in my life. But I am feeling so inadequate. I am feeling like such a failure. I don't even understand why I exist. Truthfully. And through a lot of prayer, the Spirit of God spoke to me. Four phrases. Four things. Four things. I'm going to share those four things with you today. This message was given to me a long time ago, and I have never preached it because I wanted to make sure it was right before I ever preached it. The Lord said to me, you are loved. Obviously, you are accepted. You are cherished. And you matter. Four things the Lord said to me that changed my life and continues to change my life. You are loved. You are accepted. You are cherished, 
and you matter. And we're going to break these things down in the time that we have left. But I want to pause for a moment and just give a little mini message on hearing from God. Because I recognize that when I teach, I often talk about the things that God says to me. And when that happens, I forget that there are different hearers out there. And some people look and they say, okay, so God speaks to this guy all the time. What's going on with you, man? And then other people are like, well, how does he hear from God? Does God really speak? I want to encourage you today to know that hearing from God is a promise for every believer. Hearing from God, first you have to recognize hearing from God is a promise for every believer. When Jesus came to the earth, the heavens were opened. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that God, who in former times spoke through his prophets, has today chosen to speak to us through his son. Jesus, when he was on the earth, said, I am leaving, but I won't leave you as an orphan. I will give you a comforter who will tell you things to come, remind you of the things that I have said. So when you become born again and become a follower of Christ, the expectation is that you have the Holy Spirit leading you and you have the word of God teaching you. And so it's a promise for every believer to hear from God. What we need to do is adjust our hearing. We need to tune our ears. We need to turn our ears. And that's a practice. Again, as I said a moment ago, the reason I have never preached this message is because those four things, I wanted to meditate on long enough and study out long enough to make sure that they were true. Because people get goofy and they say, I heard this from God and it doesn't line up with his word. You did not hear that from God. Everything the Holy Spirit will speak to you in here confirms what is written in here. He will never, ever, ever lead us beyond the scope of what he has written here. It will always align with the word. And so this first thing that the Lord spoke to me, he says, you are loved. Now, I would say 95% of this room right now would probably not argue, yeah, of course we're loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yeah, we get it. We get it. We're loved. But see, as I said a moment ago, as Jesus preached in John chapter 15, we have to abide in that love. We actually have to learn to be loved before we can give love. Scripture calls us beloved, the beloved of God. And so we have to learn to be loved by God and abide in that love. That's the very first thing, to stay in that love, be loved. Learn to be loved because you know as well as I do growing up in this world, I don't care how good of a family background you came from, if you live in the world long enough, you tend to feel like you're not loved. You tend to feel like you're not worthy, but we are loved by God. We are loved by him. So we need to first learn to be loved. And I would argue that most of the group in this room says, yeah, I totally get it. We're, we're beloved. I understand. Here's where I was hung up for years, years. The second thing the Lord spoke to me was you are accepted. I would argue that many of the body of Christ struggles with this. Because while we believe that God loves us, we tend to believe that he just tolerates us. We tend to fall into, because we know that physical person that we're looking in the mirror, we know that person, we tend to believe that God couldn't possibly accept us. He must just simply love me and tolerate me. 
And I studied this out and I struggled with this for a long time because I thought, how could you accept me? I am a sinner. How could you accept me? And then the Lord brought revelation to me and I want to bring it to you right now. Can you look at me? uh, Look with me at this passage of Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter one. And when, when I saw this, it changed everything. I said, okay, now I can begin standing. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 3. When you get there, just shout out and tell me I got it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. The only reason I am beloved is because I'm in the beloved. I am in Christ. And therefore I am accepted And well-pleasing to God. Because you are in Christ, you are accepted and well-pleasing to God. See, the enemy may not have been able to stop you from believing that God loves you. But he hangs up many Christians against the wall and says, God can't really accept you because of who you are. But we're looking at the wrong person because that's not who we are. The scripture says that the, the word of God is the mirror for who we are. And as I look into the perfect law of liberty, I'm set free. This is who I am. And I am fully pleasing and accepted by God. I am fully pleasing to Him. My existence pleases Him. He accepts me because I'm in Christ. And if we didn't get it in the New Testament, there's a powerful story. I don't have time to read it. It's a powerful story in the book of Kings, 2 Kings. In 1 Kings, we see that Elijah laid himself, Elijah laid himself on a boy, on the widow's son who was dead, and he raises him by laying himself. But Elisha, oh man, in the book of 2 Kings, God just makes this even more clear. Elisha goes to this boy who has died. The scripture tells us in the book of 2 Kings that he laid on him three times. And every time he laid on him, don't think this is weird, follow me for a second. His nose touched his nose, his eyes touched his eyes, and his lips touched his lips. He's literally covering this boy. So the boy's laying on the ground, and he just overshadows him. Oh, man, every part of Elisha touches the dead boy. And after three times, he sneezes seven times. I don't know why, but that's what God did. He sneezes seven times, and he's totally brought back to life. That is a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus. When God looks at us, he doesn't see what you and I see. He sees his son fully covering us. His eyes are our eyes. His nose is our nose. His lips are touching our lips. So he sees his son Jesus and not us. That is how we are accepted. Because he's not looking at us the way we think we are. Isn't that what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? That if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That's how he accepts us. So we have got to beat down and walk away from that lie 
that says we're not pleasing to God, that says we're not accepted by God because he has proven through his word and through his life that he accepts us. The next, excuse me, the next thing that the Lord said to me was that you are cherished. And there's no better picture painted of being cherished than a husband loving his wife in true love than a bride being loved and pursued by her groom. And Paul lays this out. Again, we don't have time to study it today. But Paul lays this out in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. He goes on to say, for love your wife as you love yourself, because no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it. So whatever I do for myself, I need to do for my spouse and even greater. I need to cherish her. Because she's my bride. When you look at this in the Greek, it literally means to keep warm. And think about it. To keep warm means you have to bring close. And when you're close, you're protected. What does the scripture say in Psalm 91? Under the shadow of his wings, we take refuge. So God cherishes us by keeping us close. By keeping us comforted by the power of his Holy Spirit and his love. And by protecting us. He protects us. He keeps us close. He keeps us warm. We are to cherish. Again, husbands, we struggle to give this to our wives because we struggle to receive it from the Lord. It's not very difficult for a woman. uh, Well, I don't want to say every woman, but it's easier for a woman sometimes to be cherished and romanced by her husband or romanced by that lover pursuing her, uh, that boyfriend or fiance, because it's how she was made. But men... We need to learn to come before the Lord and let him cherish us. Because all of us, regardless of male or female, the Bible describes us, as Pastor Ray shared weeks ago, as the bride of Christ. So we're his bride. So he cherishes us. And we need to learn to receive that because, remember, we can't give what we don't have. We have to receive it. And it's not a one-time event. It's staying in that place of receiving. The final thing that the Lord shared with me. I want to break down for you today. And I believe it probably is one of the greater struggles, like being accepted. And it's, it's the part that he said to me that you matter. And really, I want to break this down for, the, for, for those of, both of us here and say, you belong. You belong. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Again, we don't have time to go there. But Paul lays out something very clear. He says, though you are many, you are one body in Christ Jesus. Though you are one body, there are diversity of gifts. And so what we have to realize, Jesus said, they'll know you by the way you love one another. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about us. What we have to understand, and I have to tell you, this is so, so, so important because the enemy wins in isolation. He works in the darkness of isolation. And if he can isolate us and if he can get us to feel like we don't belong, we won't belong. But the scripture teaches us that while we are many, we're one body. And yet, as one body, there are diversity of gifts. And so the beauty of following Christ is to know, number one, that you belong to his body. You belong. I just need to pause and tell you that. Every one of you, from the Lord, you belong. I can't tell you, from serving in youth ministry for over ten years, I can't tell you, How powerful this word is that needs to be brought to the young people. You belong. You belong. Yes, you belong to God, but you belong to the body of Christ. You belong here. 
Paul says, well, how is it that the hand would say to the foot, I don't have any need of you, and then cut it off? Well, no, you won't be able to walk. We need every part of God's body. So we shouldn't make any part of his body feel like they don't belong. Everybody has a place at God's table. Everybody. And when I have received that, then I can give that. The reason I'm hard and callous and won't let you come in and, and, make, and make you feel like you're ostracized and you don't belong is because I haven't really accepted. And I don't mean I personally. We haven't really accepted that we belong at God's table, that we belong. But if we can accept that and receive that, we can recognize there's a place for everybody in the body. Everybody. This is such a powerful word that needs to be communicated. I would encourage you to study out Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and take a look at it. Because the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And, and the hand and the foot can't gang up on the head and say, we don't need you, head. Well, then you're not going to have a life. You know, we have to stop cutting each other off. We have to stop saying we have no need of you. We need all of God's people. We need all of his people because we all have a place. We all have a place. My body is not fighting itself. My body is helping itself. My hand and foot did not wake up this morning jealous of my head. They didn't. My eyes are not jealous of my ears. Because my eyes receive what they receive and give what they give. And my ears receive what they receive. You see, every part has a place. And we need to settle on that. You are loved. You are accepted, you are cherished, and you matter. You belong. Turn to your neighbor and say, you belong. If it's possible, I'd like to, I'd like to share a song with you this morning. Again, like this message, I received this song several years ago. This is probably one of the first songs the Lord has ever given me. And I have worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And uh, just grateful just grateful that I can bring it to you this morning. I'll do it in five minutes, and then we're going to share the Lord's table today.
like love I can give you my body to burn And without love it gains me nothing Cause love isn't easy to anger And love never seeks its own It bears all, believes all, it hopes all, endures all Yes, true love Thank you for the power of your love today. Thank you for the power of your love. There's no greater force in the universe, Lord. So we just come to you today. Fully loved. Fully accepted. Fully pleasing. Totally cherished and belonging to your body. We thank you for your love today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask.